You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. This morning's scripture passage is going to be from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 21. By the way, my name is Matt Gonzalez, our Director of Community and Strategy here, uh, and it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. If you're looking for 1 Timothy chapter 6, you can find that on page 934 of the Chairback Bibles in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you. We would love for you to take that as a gift from us to you so that you can have your very own copy of the Word of God. Now friends, hear with me the living Word of the Lord. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, first and foremost, for who you are. God, we thank you for the gift of your word that you have breathed it for us. Spirit, we thank you that you are alive and active in it. And for those who are in Christ, you are alive and active in us. We pray that you would conform us to the image of Jesus. Would we worship at your feet this morning, Lord, as we hear your word read? And God, would we respond in obedience? Transform us, convict us. And would you get glory from us? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Matt. In case you missed the announcement a couple weeks ago, Matt's now full-time on our team, and we're really excited to have him. Would you join me in welcoming him? So, an older gal pulled up at a Walmart to go shopping when, on her way in to the supermarket there, She was caught sideways by a gal who was dressed ostentatiously. 
or as I think the kids say today, uh, dressed quite bougie. <laughs> that lady who is dressed all bougie-like says, do you know where a jewelry store is around here? The first lady feels like, well, that's weird. It's weird that you're asking me where a jewelry store is, but uh, okay, yeah, there's, there's one over that way, you know, points to wherever. The jewelry store is moments later, seconds later, another guy who is headed into Walmart, who overhears that brief dialogue, he says, why? Why are you asking about a jewelry store? And, and the, the, the fancy dressed lady says, well, looking for a jewelry store because I need to sell two gold bars. All right, this is a true story. Gal pulls out of her crazy fancy purse two gold bars. So I'm looking to sell these. So, what? Guy says, well, let's just go into the jewelry counter right here at Walmart. Let's see what they're worth. They do. 12 grand each. 12 grand each. He said, I just need to get to a jewelry store. I'm going to sell these two gold bars. Well, first, first lady who had just, just was going to go do some errands at Walmart says, well, how much do you want for one of those? So I'll make you a deal. Five grand. That lady had to stop her errands. She got in her car. She drove to her bank. She took out five grand. Cash. Returned. Bought one of those gold bars. What a deal, right? What would you do? What a good deal. It was a total setup. True story. Not only was the lady selling the gold bars a fraud, the guy who just happened to walk up at the right time, he was in on it the entire time. So was the person behind the jewelry counter at the Walmart. The bars themselves, fake. The only thing that was real was the five grand cash. That was the only real thing in the whole situation. And that, that poor person who got duped and deceived learned a very difficult lesson that all that glitters is not gold. Believe that church? That all that glitters is not gold? In fact, if you saw a piece of real gold next to fool's gold, if we had real gold next to fool's gold, could you tell the difference just by looking at them? I was getting ready for this sermon, and I started nerding out on YouTube videos trying to say, could I actually learn how to tell the difference? And what I learned is lots of people over hundreds of years have really struggled to know the difference. In the 1800s in San Francisco and the 49er gold rush and all that, lots of people got duped between real gold and fool's gold. In modern times, people will show up at some parking lot. They make you a really good deal selling real gold jewelry out of their van when nobody's looking. Oh no, I bought some the other day. Uh-oh. <laughs> 
turns out to the untrained eye, fool's gold looks like real gold. And for those without understanding, for those who are naive, it can be easy to be deceived. Well, this morning, if you were tracking along with Matt reading the text, you might notice Paul isn't talking about real gold versus fool's gold in our text. Rather, he's going to explain something far more valuable to us today. Because Paul doesn't want anything, anyone in Timothy's church being duped or deceived. And that's why he, in this letter of which we finished today, has given Timothy seven pillars for a strong church. Here are the seven things, Timothy, this church must be built upon if it's going to last. The difference between fool's gold church and real gold church. But it is this last pillar, friends, that may be the trickiest. It may be the trickiest for us, for like fool's gold which glitters, but is a worthless substitute, so false teachers. They can seem flashy, but they are worthless as well. So Paul's heart here in this final section. Hey, Timothy, help your church. Help your church not get duped by false teachers. Timothy, help your church know the difference between the fake and the real. Here then our sermon in a sentence this morning. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Know the difference, church, between fake teachers and real teachers. That's my heart for you as you walk out these doors. If you'll lean in and do work in listening, I'll do work of teaching, that you would leave and you'd go, okay, based on 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 21, I know the difference between real teachers and fake teachers. I know the differences. And this morning, Paul's going to offer three elements that are present in genuine, bona fide teaching. Three ways we can tell the difference between fool's gold teaching and real gold teaching. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open the 1 Timothy 6? I'm going to walk you through this passage. You can get this clarity so you can tell the difference between false teaching and real teaching. If you're taking notes, here is the first element that is in real gold teaching. Real gold teaching encourages us to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight. Look with me there at chapter 6, verse 11, as Paul explains, flee these things. Flee these things. Okay, if you're new with us, it might be helpful to know that these things refers to all the false teaching we've heard previously, certainly capturing chapter 6, verse 2b, all the way to 10. We looked at that last week. Flee these things. It includes that, but also all the false teaching we've seen See, we started this sermon series back in August, and I'm pretty sure all of us have slept since then, so it may be a little bit foggy about everywhere we've walked through. But keep in mind, Paul's been talking about these false teachers. This is actually the third big time he's picked up the theme. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul starts us with this first pillar of having the correct doctrine and he says so in chapter 1 3 you can flip back there if you want to see it he says you have got to make sure that these false teachers who are smitten these awful mythological genealogical family trees are corrected you've got to make sure we have this pillar of strong doctrine that's chapter 1 
That's pillar one. Fast forward to 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can flip there in your Bible. It's just one page in mine. Chapter 4, verse 1. We come to the fifth pillar of a strong church, which is the church's foundation. Of course, this is Jesus Christ. Here again, Paul warning and contrasting the church's true foundation, which is pillar five. You can see them listed there. We have pillar one, correct doctrine, all the way to number five, which is the church's foundation. The church's foundation, of course, is Jesus Christ. This is a correction. As some in the Ephesian church were devoted to deceitful spirits and demon teaching. Are you kidding? No. Some in Timothy's church are not teaching the right foundation. Look at chapter 4, verse 3, if you want more on what that demon teaching is. It's these pillars of Jesus Christ, then, which would protect the church from false teaching. So it's no surprise as we come to our final pillar, you can see it there at the end, warning to the rich, we come to this final pillar. Here in this final section, Paul's finishing, fully focused on Timothy, confronting those false teachers. Timothy, you got to know the difference between fake teachers and the real deal holy field. So back to chapter 6, verse 11. Look in the scriptures, would you? Look what Paul calls Timothy there at the beginning. Man of God. Man of God. Run away from those arrogant, know-nothing false teachers. Run away from those who crave controversy and quarrel about words. Those leaving debris fields of jealousy, fighting, gossip, suspicion, and constant dispute. That's fool's gold. That's fool's gold. But then what's true gold from our text? Real teachers who pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That's real gold teaching. That's the real kind of teachers to be on the lookout for. Verse 12, those fighting the good fight, battling for virtue. That's what a real teacher does. See, real teachers were to take hold of eternal life. Not just hoping in eternal life. When we talk about eternal life, that's what we often think about. When we think about eternal life, we think about what's coming someday. And that is eternal life. But Paul doesn't say, hey, Timothy, think about the eternal life to come. He says, take hold of it now. John 17, 3, we read, eternal life is knowing the one true God. Timothy, Paul's saying, Grab that eternal life you were called to when you made your confession. And this is what it means to fight the good fight. Look at chapter 6, verse 13, as Paul uses Jesus as the example. Jesus made the good confession in front of Pilate, didn't he, church? You remember that? He's standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate says, Man, I have power to do with you whatever I want to do, so you tell me what's the truth. And Jesus claimed, he accepted, Jesus confessed, I am the king of the Jews, I'm the Messiah. And it cost Jesus his life. Timothy then then is to fight the good fight by holding fast to this confession as well. You fight the good fight by agreeing and clinging to this eternal life, claiming 
What is true? Like a kindergartner on the first day of school clinging to their mom as they get dropped off. That's a picture for us. Clinging to Christ as it were. You ain't going anywhere. You thinking about leaving this school, Jesus? I'm going to hang on your leg the whole time. Where you go, I will go. See, Jesus, he gave the good confession, and so does Paul. Paul fights the good fight. Look at verse 15 and 16 where Paul gives all honor and glory and eternal dominion to the blessed and sovereign, king of kings and lord of lords, immortal, unapproachable, invisible. Amen, church? Amen. That's where verse 16 ends. And I learned amen is Paul's way of affirming and committing himself to these truths. Paul inviting Timothy to do the same. How about you, church? See, in the face of all those false teachers in Ephesus, and despite all the pressure Timothy was feeling and facing, Paul is calling Timothy and the church at large to recognize not all that glitters is gold. Timothy and church, Paul's saying, man, you gotta know the difference between real teaching and fake teaching, between true gold and fool's gold. Which explains why Paul started this whole section in verse 11, calling Timothy, O man of God. I left this little nugget till now, but look back there at verse 11 where Paul says, Timothy, O man of God. Like, what's that, oh man of God? I didn't know. You guys kindly pay me to study this kind of stuff, and I'm grateful for it. This is what I learned. Let me share it with you. In the Old Testament, the title man of God was a term reserved for the leaders of Israel. It was applied to Moses, Samuel, David, the prophet Shemaiah, Elijah, Elisha, Igdalia, the Rechabite. Who's that? It's Jeremiah 35. I didn't know either. I had to look him up. Oh, he was a man of God. Three anonymous prophets are given this title. In the only other use of this expression in the New Testament, the man of God appears to be any mature Christian who becomes thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what that means. We're all, we all got loads to be able to grow in our Bible reading. But I think a couple thousand years ago there in the Ephesus church, they knew their Old Testament a lot better than we do. And when they heard, O man of God, they realized what Paul's doing is he is giving a certification to Timothy's ministry. Any of you have a gold ring? On the inside of mine is a stamp of what quality of gold it is. This is Paul's way of saying, hey, Timothy, you are 24 karat gold. You're the pure stuff. That's what O man of God is. And as the church heard Paul's letter read, they'd realize, oh man, Timothy, he is the real deal. Timothy is following Paul, and he's no counterfeit. Paul's fighting the good fight. Jesus fought the good fight. Timothy is now to fight the good fight, as is the church. But what about us, Mill Creek? What's our takeaway and application? Well, just as Timothy was to fight the good fight, friends, let us be those who fight the good fight as well. And here's how. Two applications. I'd love for you to write both of these down. Here's the first one. First application, know the difference between fake teachers and 
real teachers. We need to be able to do that. That's Paul's heart here. Know the difference between fool's gold teachers and real gold teachers. Real teachers, they run, of, they run away from evil qualities. You can even scan up to chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, where we find all of the qualities that are not to mark a true teacher. These are qualities of fake teachers. From our section, then, real teachers pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. I mean, just check in with whoever you think is a real teacher. Are they practicing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness? What is more, fake teachers, they cave on their confessions. That's what fool's gold teachers do. When you put the pressure on them, they fold. But not real teachers. Real teachers cling to their confession. Real teachers cling to Christ. Real teachers take hold of that eternal life and they hold it for themselves no matter what. You've got to spot the difference. Friends, if you're here and you're just checking Mill Creek out, trying to get a sense of, hey, is this a church where we could connect long term or not? Maybe we're the right church, maybe we're not. But wherever you go, know the difference between fool's gold teachers and real gold teachers. Application two for Christians. By implication here, Christian, you must cling to your confession. You've got to cling to your confession. Understand, church, holding fast to faith in Jesus. It is no walk in the park. Clinging to Christ is all-out war. So don't be surprised that if you are going to claim Christ, you will be fighting tooth and nail to hold on to Him. Do not be surprised when the hordes of hell assault you. When Jesus faced Pilate and he made the good confession, it cost him his life. Spoiler alert. Paul, he's a real gold teacher too. He's going to cling to his confession. It'll cost him his life as well. Church history tells us that Paul stood right before Nero, the most powerful Caesar most powerful man in the whole known world. And he clung to his confession. And later on, they took Paul out on a road and they cut his head off for it. We got to cling to our confession and it ain't no walk in the park, church. Let us be prepared. It will be costly. Clinging to Christ, friends, it may cost you your life, but we must do it. Because we're not fool's gold Christians, are we? We don't fold. Stay true to your confession, Christian. Stay true to the good confession and take heart because God is blessed. And God is sovereign. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. 
He is immortal. He is unapproachable in light. He is invisible. And one day in eternity to come, we will behold him on his throne and he will have eternal dominion. And we will be so grateful that despite the cost, we clung to our confession. Amen. Settle it now. For on that day, we will all see. Fighting the good fight was worth it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Not my quote. Here then, the first element of a genuine teacher, they fight the good fight. So church, know the difference between fool's gold teaching and real gold teaching and cling to your confession. Move with me to the second. There's three in total. Here's the second. Real teachers are rich in good works. Look with me there again at chapter 6, verse 17, as Paul gives a contrast. Timothy, do this, not that. Paul, so to speak, saying, hey, Timothy, as a gold standard teacher, you got to preach to the rich. Don't you take the chicken exit when you're talking to rich folks in the church. Don't you tiptoe through the tulips with them. You shoot them straight. Just because church people are wealthy doesn't mean they should be proud. That's what Paul's doing here. Fool's gold teachers, they ain't talking to the rich like this. Real gold teachers, supposed to talk to the rich, call it like it is. But you might imagine some of the wealthy church members there in Timothy's church might have looked at Timothy and said, but you must understand, Pastor Timothy, I'm so different. I'm the exception, Timothy, because some might say, the reason I'm so wealthy is because I'm brilliant. Or the reason I'm so wealthy is because I worked so hard. Some might have said to Pastor Timothy, oh, I'm different than the people Paul's talking about. I have this money because I earned it. That's why I'm so rich. But Timothy could have responded, well, who gave you your brilliance? And who gave you that work ethic? You, you didn't earn those things. Those were given to you, which is, of course, exactly Paul's meaning in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 when he says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, Paul is wanting Timothy to confront the rich in the church to not be arrogant and to not set their hope in their money. For teachers who confront the rich, they're the real deal. While those who don't, are fool's gold. True teachers encourage the rich to do good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, which, verse 17, look there, it helps the rich enjoy God, who provides us with everything we need. Which is to say, money will never actually give you what you think it's promising. Friends, what you may be thinking money is to give you is actually your soul longing for God. Satisfaction you really crave will not come from more zeros in your bank account. It only comes from Christ. 
generosity and sharing then moves your hope to God. Verse 19 leads the true, true treasure in heaven, which is just like Jesus says, right? Matthew 6, 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For us then, what is our takeaway? What is our application? Here we find a repeat. Paul wants Timothy and us by extension to know the difference between fool's gold teachers and real gold teachers. If you're writing down application, there it is. Know the difference between the fake and the true. In our context then, you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, to be reminded that fool's gold teachers think godliness is a means of gain, which is to say fake teachers are not confronting the rich because they want to get rich. And if you've got a bunch of rich people that you want their money, you don't tell them or confront them in their wealth. They might leave. Take their money elsewhere. True teachers, on the other hand, recognize godliness with contentment is great gain. That's 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Fool's gold teachers want everyone's money and are trying to get rich by means of teaching. True teachers realize don't need any money when you have godliness. That is of great gain. Church, know the difference between false teachers and real teachers. Second application for every Christian in here, generously share your wealth. Love for you to write that down. Generously share your wealth. Now I'm drawing that application because I think when Paul's talking to Timothy and calling him to address those in his church who are wealthy... I'm that when he's doing that, he's got some certain people in mind. But I think if Paul were here, he would have all of us in mind. Which is to say, I think every single person in here is incredibly wealthy. So when Paul's addressing the wealthy in the church, I think all of us, if we were going to compare ourselves to those, the net worth of everybody in here compared to everyone's net worth in the church of Ephesus, I'm going to go out on a limb and say our net worth is higher. See, very often when we read things like this and, 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 and we're seeing that the wealthy are to be confronted, we think, I think, I do this too, well, I'm not that wealthy. I mean, have you seen the car I drive? It's not that nice. There's lots of people who have more money than us. Our tendency is we, we put ourselves on some wealth position, and then we just think about the people who are like three levels higher than us, and we're like, now that's wealthy, but I'm not there. But the reality is, you take everybody in this room, and you compare us to any third world country today, and, and everybody would trade positions with us. 
you compare, you may even be up to your ears in credit card debt right now. You're still probably worth more than some of the people in Timothy's church. What I'm just trying to say is all of us are very wealthy. And the command here for the wealthy to be confronted applies to us. It applies to you. It applies to me. We have to reckon with this New Testament command to generously share our wealth based on the authority of this scripture from the text. Rich, Mill Creek Christians, stop being proud of your money. Don't find your hope in your money. Stop thinking that if you just had some more money, life would finally be good. That's a lie. And, and don't hoard your money, Milk Creekers. See, God gave you that money. And in fact, to be fair, it's not even your money. It's really His. You and I are stewards. We are money managers. He gave us this money, and we are going to be called to account for what we did with His money. Be a good steward. Be a good manager. And be aware, in the New Testament, the rich are severely warned. Like Luke 18, 25, you remember this one? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than the rich to get to heaven. And we read through that on our Bible reading plan and we think, oh, I bet that's true for those rich people. That's us! Oh dear. Or even in verse 10 of 1 Timothy 6. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The antidote to the poison of greed is to generously share your wealth, church. Yes, pastor, I know, and that the answer is always to give 10%, right? That's, that's what a good Christian does. Yes, pastor, actually, the, the word in the New Testament, tithe, the word tithe does literally mean 10%, but I've done my homework and you it too, if you do a study, there actually isn't a clear 10% rule. Of course, I think that's a good place to start, but if you look at the Old Testament model, do the math. Most Old Testament Jews gave 30% of their annual income when you take it all together. So fine, you're here and you're like, well, I'm giving 10%. Well, as God continues to give you more and more, don't keep thinking, and how can I take more and more and hoard it and be arrogant about it and put my hope in it and buy more toys? Try to think about how you can be more generous. In fact, I've heard some talk about the reverse tithe where they're aiming to be able, as their income level raises, they're figuring, how do I give more away and live on less? It wouldn't it be cool if someday we could like give 90% of our income away and we just lived on 10%, the reverse tithe. I can't imagine any of us in glory church saying, Man, I wish I wouldn't have given so much to Jesus. I really needed an extra toy. Instead, we give. We want to give to Jesus as he changes our hearts. Here then, church, a way to know the difference between fool's gold teachers and real gold teachers. Move with me to the final element, number three. This one is the quickest, but it is crucial. Real gold teachers will encourage you to guard the good deposit. They guard it. They'll encourage you to do the same. Look with me at verse 20 and 21. As Paul is calling Timothy to treat the gospel like the treasure it is. See, Timothy is to 
be careful protecting this valuable gospel. False teachers, on the other hand, they were full of babble and contradictions, swerving from the faith, proving that not, proving that not all that glitters is gold. Timothy himself, he must guard the deposit and the treasure. And how does he do that? Well, Timothy is to do his best and then entrust that God will protect his church through grace. Would you look there at the end of verse 21? Do you see how it ends? Paul's final words in this letter. Grace be with you, Timothy. And notice that the final you is plural. It would be technically accurate to translate this final sentence, grace be with you all, which indicates from Stott's commentary that Paul is looking beyond Timothy as he has done throughout the letter to the congregation Timothy is supervising. For they would not be able in their own strength to reject error and fight for truth, to run from evil and pursue goodness, to renounce covetousness and cultivate contentment and generosity, and in these Christian responsibilities to remain faithful to the end. Only divine grace could keep them. So at the letter's conclusion, as at its beginning, the apostle wishes for them above all else an experience of the transforming and sustaining grace of God. I know it's quick, but here is our final takeaway and application. Again, know the difference between real gold teachers and fool's gold teachers. Fake teachers, they babble on and on about contradictory nonsense. True teachers guard the gospel to the bloody end. And Mill Creekers, elders and I would be so grateful if you would pray that we would stay faithful to the gospel to the bloody end. We're praying for you. We'd love your prayers for us. Second application for Christians in here, guard the gospel treasure you've received. Christian, you got to guard this gospel truth that Christ died for your sins. Guard it. Protect it. Because realize that gospel message, it's far more valuable than gold bars. Amen? You would not want to trade it for $5,000 or any amount of money. That's how valuable the gospel is. I mean, real talk, if I gave you some gold bars right now, if we gave you $5,000 or $50,000 in cash, and, and you were to take it home, you couldn't put it anywhere, you had to leave it in your home, how would you guard and protect it? How important would that money be to ensure its Safety, so we ought to treat the gospel similarly. I'm not saying to keep the gospel in some biometric safe in your basement. What I'm saying is that if we would get how important the gospel is and how expansive it is, how the gospel actually has something to offer us in every area of our lives, oh, Spirit, open our hearts to see the gospel actually has something to say about your marriage. And it has something to say about the way we parent. And it has, it has lots to say about your job and the way you show up on Monday. 
And it has everything to say about why you do what you do. And it has something to say about the way you relate. And when you get to Thanksgiving, the gospel has benefit for you in the way you relate to your family and the way we do all of life. The gospel isn't some small, flat, little treasure that we leave in our back pocket like a little change. The gospel's gigantic. We ought to be treasuring it and deploying it in every area of our life. Christ died for our sins. It matters. It matters in every way. Very practically then, a way to guard the gospel treasure is by trying to help yourself keep it in view every day. Martin Luther used to say 500 years ago, I preach the gospel to myself every day for fear that I wake up and I forget it. And all of us are prone to wander. So here's a real practical way you can guard the gospel is by trying to help yourself remember. Tomorrow morning, wake up and say this to yourself in a prayer. God, I am desperate for you. And, and if you're like me and you, you try to wake up and say that first thing, your brain will say, no, I'm not actually desperate for you. I'm desperate for coffee. That's what I really want today. And I think to myself, I'm also desperate to get my to-do list done. And I'm, I'm desperate to have that uh, assignment finished at work and I'm desperate to get this chore finished and I'm desperate to and, and all of a sudden my brain goes in all these ways I'm, I'm desperate for another zero on my bank account and I'm desperate to get this fixed I'm desperate for and all these things are happening and I realize no 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 I, I know that's what I that's that's a tendency but I'm actually going to start today guarding the gospel and reminding myself I'm desperate for you and all of those other things that are nagging me and leading me today, getting me out of bed thinking that's what's most important, those are all arrows pointing ultimately to the satisfaction I can only find in Christ. So, so start tomorrow. Start this week. God, I am desperate for you. And I am a wicked, awful sinner apart from Christ who can't do anything on my own. But thank you for Jesus who has forgiven me and granted me Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1. If you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. Spiritually more wealthy than we can even imagine. That's the way we start the day. Guarding the gospel. Grace, dear Christians. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Don't get it twisted. Grace got you into the family of God. Grace is keeping you in the family of God. Grace is going to get you home to see face-to-face -face the family of God. For those here who aren't Christians, let me finish this way. I have for you the best offer anybody could make you today. And it's not gold bars in a Walmart parking lot. If you're here and you don't know Christ, this isn't fool's gold. This is real stuff. You, friend, can, you can right now be saved from your eternal sin and you can have the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you would repent of your sin and trust in Christ, he would save you even right now and there is no price tag. You can keep coming to church here and you never have to put one penny in that plate and you can be saved for eternity. See, Christ's good profession before Pilate was true. Paul's profession was true. And if your profession is true, Christ will save you. Not because of anything you've done, but only because of what he has accomplished. That's the difference between fool's gold 
and real gold salvation. I pray you would ask Christ to save you. Church, this ends our sermon series in 1 Timothy. God's blueprint for a strong church. Seven pillars we must follow if we want 1 Timothy to shape us. May we be shaped by God's word and may God's grace be with us until Christ's return. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We can't do any of this on our own. I pray for those who don't know you, you would save now, power of your spirit, not because of anything we've done, but because of your work. For those who, for those who are so discouraged, I pray you would breathe new life, fresh life. Give us joy and take the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.